revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him, the Lord, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it, and blessed are those who take to heart what is written, because the time is near. There is power in hearing and speaking out the words of Scripture. Yes, including the words of Revelation. Now, we're not going to go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through this book. Okay, one, I'm a student of death. Okay, I'm just going to say it right there. I am guaranteed to say something in some way that some of you will not like. And in our current climate, my biggest fear is you will leave upset because I might disagree a little, little bit with your view of Revelation or how you think one ought to be interpreted and so forth. So we're only going to go through chapters 2 and 3. I know this is a big topic and there are great pastors that you can listen to and, and I hope you listen to not just those who already know agree with you but someone who doesn't agree with you so that you may know and, and, and as Paul would write in the book of Romans that you would be convinced in your own heart of your view of how to interpret this great book. But I believe what we can all agree on, and I believe every uh, Christian who would be orthodox, according to most definition of Scripture, would agree on is that the Lord is coming back, and soon. We can disagree on how, on when, on lots of things. But whether you take this book of Revelation to be literal or more figurative, every single Christian I've known that has commitment to the truth of Scripture will say, the Lord is coming back again. And soon. You know, in, in our hymn, I'll fly away this morning, if you looked in the hymnal, there's, you know, during the chorus where we say, I'll fly away, I'll fly away, there's in parentheses, in the morning. In part from an understanding that when you and I get to be with Jesus, it doesn't matter if it is night here, it is morning with him. And that is a good, good thing. But I know deeply committed believers to not just Jesus, but to the word of God, that I would disagree in their view of salvation. <laughs> You know, and, and yet they're really good Christians and people. And we are very good at times at letting something like this divide us instead of being unified in the fact that because of what Revelation says, he is coming back again, and we have a job to do now. And it isn't just to sit and wait for him to come back. I, I joke with you all, and I joke with Alicia all the time, 
you know, uh, she said, I, I pray for the Lord to return. I said, absolutely. And I pray really hard Saturday into Sunday. And I pray really hard during Sunday school. The Lord, Lord, come back today. These people have suffered much. And she says, which people? I said, first half of St. Paris. They've been persecuted much. And the Lord says, as he says in Revelation, just a little while longer. And I said, oh, Lord, I don't know that they can take it. And he just says, stop talking. Preach on. He is coming back, and we need to take to heart God's word. We can't just read it and sit down. We can't just hear it and sit down. As the book of James, as we learn, says, we must be hearers and doers of the word of God. And, and John, as he's given this vision, this one revelation, it's not multiple revelations, it's one revelation. The idea of taking heart is, is don't just hear it and go, oh, this is nice. I can't wait until he comes back. But to take it to heart and then live differently because of it. And as we look at these uh, churches in Revelation 2 and 3, you kind of see, I know it's hard to see, and those of you online can't see it, this is a topographical map of kind of the Turkey and Asia mining area where these churches would have been. And, and, and you see the seven churches that are going to get it, but this, we don't just read as we will this morning the angel of the church of Ephesus and read that. And it was for Ephesus alone. Ephesus would have read it, but probably Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea. They would have all read what Jesus is saying to his churches. Each one would read the other one. Now, as we might learn this morning, I don't know if Jesus was writing me a letter that I want you all to read what Jesus would write me. I'm, you know, uh, there, there are many times when I go, oh Lord, just keep this between you and me. Not because I'm awful. I don't think I am. I don't think I'm awful, but I don't want to. Because Jesus, he is sovereign. He is the Lord. He knows all things. I don't want you to hear what he might say to me. This is why I think Paul, when he understands that, you know, I, I almost just preached from chapter 1 today, but I'll get into chapter 2 and we'll move along quickly and go for it, Lord, for your sake and mine. But you get this vision of who Jesus is in chapter 1, and you go, oh my goodness, uh, he's an awesome guy. And not awesome, and I want to buddy buddy with him. He's an awesome guy. I really want to be careful what comes out of his mouth. No wonder the response of John in verse 7 is when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. You know, it's going to be a glorious time when we see Jesus, but you know what? There needs to be a part of us. When we see Jesus, our response is, oh, I've been waiting for you to get me. Our response is to go, oh my goodness, how low to the ground can I get because this is the Lord. And it says here that Jesus, when he saw that John fell in his feet as so dead, he placed his right hand on him. And he said, do not be afraid. Too late. You know, too late. But when the Lord says, do not be afraid, you listen. He says, I am the first and the last. 
I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. This idea, you know, we don't do it as much anymore, but when people got a key to a city, that was a high honor because what did that mean? You can let anybody in you want and you can get anybody out that you want and lock the gate behind them. You don't want me to have a key to St. Paris. I might lock myself out. Alright, there's no call in advance for the police department to get me in. I'll be like, adios. You know, but that's what's going on. And he says we are to take heart what is saying. Because the purpose of Revelation, the purpose of every letter that we're going to interact with is that God has a desire for us. You want to know what God's heartbeat for you and I is this morning? That we would be victorious. That we would overcome with who he says he is. This word that he writes again and again, it can be translated as overcome, as, as the victor, as the one who prevails, as a conqueror, as someone who vanquishes a, a foe. I mean, don't you want that? And he's saying, this is my desire for you. Listen to the words of Revelation 2, 7. It says, whoever has ears let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I'm not just asking those of you who have ears on the side of your head. It's not what he was talking about. Some of you hear well. Others of you need help hearing. He, John, or Jesus, through the apostle, the disciple John, as he writes this word, and by the way, he's going to say that phrase every single letter for seven times completely. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying. These letters are not just, though they were first and foremost, letters to seven literal churches of Asia Minor, though all seven churches existed. They are also a letter to us as Western Americans in 2023. If we will let our ears hear what the Spirit is going to say. But you and I have a choice. We've sung some words this morning, some hopeful words, some challenging words. But will we let the Spirit speak? Will you just quickly turn to me, Father God? I give your Spirit permission to disrupt, interrupt, speak over into this place. Get me out of the way so you may be great. Lord, I pray that if there's any obstacles and anybody who hears your word this morning, that you would just drop And may we hear what the Spirit, your Spirit, the Spirit of truth, says this morning. Amen.
And so here in this church, this letter, where he said his, his desire was for them to be victorious. Listen to these words. To the angel, the messenger at the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. You have persevered and endured many hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. And if you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give them the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. We need to hear what the Spirit is saying, and that is Jesus is sovereign. He is God. He's the one that holds the stars, and he walks among the lampstand. And if you read in, in, in chapter 1, these are analogies or pictures of his church. I mean, he makes it clear the seven stars are the messengers or the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the churches. Now, there, we could get in a whole big old theological debate, and I'm sure Dr. Ron Hunter over here has been a part of the what does he mean by angels of the churches? Friends, there's a lot we don't know. Okay? It could be that he saw these the messengers of each of these churches, the pastors of each of these churches. There's a possibility that in God's wisdom, each church has an angel. I don't know. And I can tell you, guess what? When we get the glory, that's not going to be a question we ask. Because it ain't going to matter. Because we're going to see the one who holds his churches in his hand, who is sovereign. It doesn't matter what, what he really meant here. You know, Jesus is sovereign. He's the one over his churches, and he's the one who holds his churches. And he doesn't just hold them, but he is among us. He walks among his churches. Amen? Now, the downside of that is he walks among our churches. He knows us. And he doesn't just know it. Like, I read the newspaper, and I know the current events of the day. You know, I know current events. I like to keep up on that because it's a kind of a something I just like. You know, it's not like that. He's like, no, I know. And he says here, and it's implied, it's not said in everyone, I know your deeds. When we hear, if we hear Jesus say, or we hear the Spirit say, I know what you're doing. You might go, ooh, if somebody does, or you may have to go, uh, no, it's like your mom knows your grades, called progress book. Huh? So do you. And if they're good, it's good that she knows that, right? And when you get an all A's, it's good that mama knows you have all A's, right? Sure, but if you don't have all A's, is it good mama knows you don't have all A's? 
No. <laughs> you know, and Jesus walks among his churches, and he's walking among the church of Ephesus. He walks among our church. And, and that is a great comfort at times. That God is in this place and we can make hope and comfort, but we need to also know that God is in this place. He knows our deeds. And, and he says to Ephesus, I'm just going to paraphrase that, hey, church, Ephesus, you're a good church. Man, you are, you are persevering, you are working hard, you, you don't like people that are evil and wicked. I mean, you are a good church. Right? And then to that. They were, they, we're not talking about a church that you can look at and go, whoa! They are off the deep end. And I think we need to know that, that when Jesus walks among his churches, when Jesus is writing a letter to us in America, Today, that he's not, he, we need to know that he sees the good that we are doing. We can be a good church. And the Lord needs and deserves good churches. Amen? And we need to work hard. And we need to, to not like those who are evil and wicked. We need to test to make sure whatever is preached from this podium is in line with Scripture. Maybe it's not that 100% literal interpretation of 100% agree with you on everything. But if anybody on this platform says that Jesus is not Lord, the response of the church at that immediate time is to kick him out the church. Okay? That's, that's, that's true response. You know, but, but, but there can be more to that. We need good churches. You know, and I think if I was a pastor or if I was hearing this letter and I knew that Jesus said, I'm a good church, I'd be like, all right. I mean, what, what do you think that to do? You know, because they had good theology. I mean, they knew the truth. And they were able to say to people who came and said, I'm an apostle. You know, there wasn't anything like uh, today. You know, which doesn't always, you know, that's rabbit trying to go on a They didn't have things like uh, background checks. You know, they didn't have things like they could actually, you know, prove whether someone did. You know, I don't know, uh, Larry, if when I interviewed here, uh, that you, I, I hope that you guys actually called the references I had on my resume. Well, you know, I hope so. You know, I don't know if they even thought of this. I don't know if they actually checked Cedarville University to make sure I actually went there. I mean, they should have record. I mean, I was in lots of classes, made them lots of money. You know, they ought to have record or something. They didn't have that system back then. They, you know, to, to write to maybe Jerusalem. I mean, this is pretty far off. These churches are pretty far off of Jerusalem. To send a correspondent and come back, that person who said they're apostle, they could have already been up and gone by weeks. But what they did know is what had been told them. They did know, maybe even to some extent, in hard writings, the book of Ephesians, of the truth of who Jesus is. Maybe, probably, even maybe 
the, the writing of Galatians, as we call it. And they would test those who said, I, I'm one of you, to, to say, prove it. What do you teach? And there were some that said, well, Jesus maybe died, but he never was a real human being. And this church says, be God with you. Jesus was truly a human being like you be, but he is also truly 100% God. Both and. They had good theology and doctrine. Can you agree with me that we need churches that have good theology and doctrine and would stand for what would be known as orthodox beliefs? Don't we need that? We need that, right? And we can sit here and go, oh good, pastor, just, just, just stop. Right there, I'm ready to go home. I mean, it's, it's 11.08, my stomach is rumbling. Let's go home. I had a good word of the Lord today. Somebody's like, are you really going to do that? I would like to, maybe. But I won't. Because he goes on to say the words of Jesus. Yet I hold this against you. Can you, can you feel your heart drop? Yes, I have this against you, church. You have forsaken the love you have at birth. You've forsaken your first love. You have lost the love that was there. Ouch. And it goes to prove if we are not careful, if we are not careful, we can have all, we can check off a lot of the good boxes. And Jesus may go, but you missed it. Because Jesus desires that we love very well. You can have right belief all you want, but if you do not love, Paul would say, you're just a plain simple. Or a drum making noise. We gotta have right belief. We gotta have right truth. We gotta stand on the side of truth. But if we make truth our banner, we don't make it truth and love. Because Jesus didn't just come in truth, did he? If you know your scriptures, you know it doesn't just say, and Jesus came full of truth. Where he went just kind of, as we like to say, beat people over the head with scripture. No. He came full of truth and grace. This I have against you. You do not love. And as we like to do, okay, so and maybe you're asking, okay, so what was that love? Was that love for God, love for Jesus, or love for others? And I'd like to say this. Uh, you can't love God and not love others. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You can't have all the right beliefs and then treat people like garbage the rest of the week. Jesus says, that ain't how it goes. And if you think that's how it goes, you, you, you're not loving me, Jesus might say, very well. Yet you know all the right answers. You know everything. You may know the Bible backwards and forwards. But you do not love. Maybe that's the difference 
from what we read in Matthew chapter 7, where, where Jesus, in the final days, as he's, he's, as he's doing things, he says to some, get away from me, for I do not know you. And they say, but I prophesied in your name, I healed in your name. I, I, I did all this in your name. I would say, I was, you know, today, I, I, I was a conservative pastor. I stood on the truth of God. I made sure everyone knew the truth of you, dear Lord. And he said, but I never knew you. Because what was the command of Jesus? The command of Jesus is this, and he says it, not me, John 15. My command is this, love one another as I have loved you. John, the writer of this, the writer of the Gospel of John, uh, the writer of the letters of John would say, you know, we love because God first loved us. And you don't just love with words, but you love with work actions. So I want to ask the question, do I love the things Jesus loves? Say that in your head. Do I love the things that Jesus loves? See, sometimes we, and especially in our world, and especially as we as the American church is going much, much more into the minority. I believe the best days of the church are ahead of us. Okay? I, I don't believe the golden days of the church were just a dawn, though they were great days of old. I believe some of the best days for the church is ahead of us. But we may get tempted to try to hang our hats on, on, on what we read in verse 6, I, that we hate the things that Jesus hates. But I think the better question is, do I love the things that Jesus loves? It's easy to hate. There were some of us last night that joked about whether the sermon this morning would be on how to hate people. You know? We don't need a sermon on that, do we? That's pretty natural. We can find a reason not to like somebody. If you need a list of not, the reasons not to like me, I can give you one. You know? Or I can give you a really big list, probably 20, 40 pages long. Uh, you know, with that. But the question isn't, do, do, can I find some reason to hate, but do I love what Jesus loves? Do you love the What breaks my heart right now? Part of it is like a lot of you are tired. I'm weary. But I'm weary because I'm giving myself, I'm finding myself in the midst of, of, of churches, not our church, okay? Not our church. But of churches and of Christians who are hating one another. They're, they're attacking one another. They're slandering one another. They are saying things that the world doesn't even say about one another. And I sit here and go, do, do we love the church like the, Jesus loves the church? I, I sit and I read and I hear firsthand and I wonder, I wonder, have we forgotten the love that Jesus has when he says, my prayer is not for them, meaning his disciples, uh, alone, but I pray for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them would be one, Father, just as I am one. And I sit here and I read and I try to counsel people who are being slain 
to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and that I have loved them even as you have loved me. And we want to know why the church, why the, why the world isn't flocking to churches. That's because we don't love the things Jesus loved, meaning our neighbors right here. And why do we not do that? Because sometimes we don't even, we don't even stick around to have to know each other. We have cheapened God's church that it's something we can do for maybe 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. We can go to a Bible study and we can do serving and we can love our community. And we think that's enough. And Jesus, if I didn't I think, I, I think Jesus says this. I think it's here. Maybe it's not. If not, just write me off and close your ears and come back later. But I think what Jesus is saying is, I didn't die so you could sit for 90 minutes in the service and say, well, now let's go home. I died so that you would be one, a family. Which means I've got to know you and you've got to know me and we've got to eat together and we've got to work together and we're going to mess up together and I'm going to step on your toes and you're going to look at me and go, what is wrong with that boy? And Joyce will say, I don't know if there's anything wrong with that boy, but I love him anyways. And, I'll, and you'll look at Joyce and say, Joyce, you're just an old, tough old bird. Stop it. And I tell her that all the time, and we know it works for God. We love each other. Amen. And there are things I can tell Joyce that if you heard me tell Joyce, you would think I'm a disrespectful brat. Maybe I am. But we have spent enough time together that she doesn't see it as a disrespectful brat. And there are things Joyce can tell me that none of y'all can tell. Because I just think you're just old and need to be quiet. And seen on. Maybe I shouldn't say that, but it's true. But I hear from Joyce, and I don't think she's old and seen on because of that. Because I know she loves it. When we walk the streets of St. Paris, people probably talk about it, right? But they will know this I love Joyce. And Joyce loves me. Better have a blessing than have a Joyce. Church, that's why we are the church. And we need to rise up, and we need to remember the things that Jesus loves, and we need to do what is next. We need to remember, and we need to repent of the fact that we made church something that Jesus didn't make, make for it, and we've got to repent and say, I have fallen much, O oh Lord. Verse 5. And I've got to live differently. It doesn't matter what you have done to some extent, but if you will remember who Jesus is and the love of Jesus and what you maybe did at first when you loved Jesus. When, do you remember when you came to Jesus for that first time? Do you remember what you did when you came to Jesus that first time? Some of you, that was 80 years ago. Others of you, may, I hope it was not 80 years ago. You're not even 80 years old. I know what I did that very first time. And mine was only 20-something years ago. Not quite 30 yet. No, I've got another year before 30. Okay? I remember I wanted people to know what I did. I couldn't get enough of the church. I couldn't get enough of those things. And then something can happen where in my pursuit of being a disciple of Jesus, I forget. And so I, at times, have not been as faithful as one to make 
your people know who Jesus is. That, that my church people know that I know who they are. And he's saying, look, church in Ephesus, you have good doctrine. You hate the things I hate, but you've got to remember to love the things I love. Come back. Come back. Because there is a reward for coming back. The reward is the tree of life, the fruit from the tree of life. And he says these words, the one who overcomes and are victorious, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. God, God doesn't ask us to do something and go, okay, I'm going to eat you did it. He notices. But can I say there's a, there's a word of warning in here, and he makes it clear. He says, if you do not repent, see, you always have a choice. Every church has a, church, a choice. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place. This is all my goodness. May it never be that I'm a pastor of a church where Jesus is no longer present. I might preach right theology. I might preach right doctrine. And Jesus says, you may be a church, but you are not mine.
That's why I'm not just right doctrine and right beliefs. I want Jesus. I want Jesus today, and I want him in another hour, and I'm wanting him tomorrow. Because there's coming a day when I will fall away. And I want the one who holds the keys of death to say, no, that door is locked. Well, come on through that door, but I'm locking it behind you. Come on in the life. I want that. So I think with that, we remember the words of Paul, who says this. Believe in Philippians. I'm not going to find out. Believe in Philippians. I press on toward the goal, the prize which God is calling me heavenly work. I count all trash for the surpassing greatness of Christ and the sufferings that they come with it. Why? Because when I repent and come back to Jesus, I can be victorious and I will get that true life. And the truth is, that's verse 2. What will you do with Jesus today? And if you don't know Jesus, please hear my heart. I love you. I love you with the love of God, the Father, and of the Son, Jesus Christ. Come to Him and receive life. And those of you who already have it, they're a little crusty. I mean, you've got all the right to believe, but you're a little crusty. You're, you're, you're a little prickly. You, you, you look like you drink a little too much pickle juice. I love you. Come back to Jesus. And let him love you and may you go love others. So that the world may know that Jesus loves you. Gracious Father, I don't know that I've made sense, but I know your spirit has made sense. Gracious Father, I don't know what that anybody heard me, but I know somebody has heard the Spirit. And so, Lord, I ask right now that you would just, I, I, I pray in the Spirit on anybody who hears these words. Lord, that they would be obedient to the call. The call of salvation, the call of baptism, the call of membership, the call of service, the call of loving their neighbor. Whatever you call, moment by moment, may they respond to you for better is a day in your court for a thousand us. Better is a moment with Jesus. Better is life with Jesus than whatever suffering that comes. Because we will cling to the one who says, I have overcome the world. So Lord, may that be true of us this day. And so Lord, may we continue to be obedient to you as we continue to worship, not just in song, but as we worship in how we live this day. Lord, we thank you for your word. The Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church this day. Amen. And amen. If you are able to stand as we sing moment by moment, if you need to respond, you respond. It's between you and the Lord, the maybe it's between you and others. You obey.